Hi, I'm Christian Haynes, and I'm one of the managing editors for Gamers with Glasses. I'm very happy to be joined by three members of the studio Triple Topping today. We have Astrid Restrup. Hi. We have Murray Somerville. Hi. And we have Simone Stahenska. Hello. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank, Thank you. you for inviting us. Yeah. All speaks at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and so Triple Topping is a Danish-based studio uh, based in Copenhagen, from what I understand. Uh, most recently, they released the game Welcome to Elk, and that was in 2020, which, to quote the game's website, is a biographical adventure set on an island like no other, where every character you encounter has a story to tell, from the weird and wonderful to the dark and desperate. All the tales told in Elk are based on true stories of life on the road less traveled. And it's available on PC, Mac, and Xbox. They've also released a game called Spit Kiss, a trippy story of boundless love told through precision platforming, which I've been playing on my iPhone the past couple of weeks uh, and really enjoying. And that is released on Steam and mobile phones on iOS and Android, I believe. So I wanted to just start off by asking a kind of simple question, or maybe it's complex, but what's life after the release of Welcome to Elk been like for you? Have you had a chance to relax? Have you had the chance to sort of hopefully bask in the glory? <laughs> yeah, Simon and Murray took some vacation, uh, which I think you needed. <laughs> uh, we also had summer vacation, but we had uh, the three of us, the founders had to work a little bit over the summer. Uh, and I had a child. So um, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. I think I think also uh, the release and and the the aftermath of the release has been like everything else right now uh, affected by COVID and everybody working from home. Uh, so that also affects like how celebration works. Like people celebrate us a lot on Twitter, and I like that. But we haven't really had a chance to celebrate with uh, with friends in person yet. Yeah, we're going to be on a boat. Astrid, we're um, going to be on a boat. Yeah. So that was a shame. We had to uh, we had to cancel that, or at least postpone it for now. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe in 2021 at some point. Um, we have a date for it, Murray. We have a date for it. Yes. Yeah, yes, May true. 7. Hopefully, okay, yeah, fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers crossed. We will go on. Mm -hmm. And it's not only a boat, it's a schooner because we mm -hmm. wanted something that were a bit in line with going to an island. Uh, so we rented, um, rented a whole boat. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. And is the whole studio going to be uh, joining you? The whole studio and friends of studio, uh, uh, the studio in Copenhagen. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I think it's really important to get those celebrations, even if they have to happen in a deferred manner and to really sort of mark the achievements <laughs> you guys have had. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It feels a bit flat to just like sit. I think we were, yeah, on Zoom, uh, similar. We were on Discord and just like release. Yay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, guys, you, you guys did a uh, you did a small celebration in a, a picnic, but I had a corona scare, so I couldn't join. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah, we did meet outside. That's true. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. and we lit a bonfire, um, mm. but not everyone could join. Wow. <laughs> yeah, <that's nice. laughs> so, I mean, it does seem like uh, Welcome to Elk had a really great reception. Uh, a lot of uh, reviews that I could see were coming out and kind of scattered in the way that often when you get an indie release, they kind of like trickle out in the reception of it trickles out in a really interesting way. 
but maybe we could sidestep that for a moment and sort of loop back to it. But I thought I would ask you just a, another simple question maybe, which is, are you playing any games right now? And if so, what's occupying your time? What are you excited about? Who goes first? Who goes first? Uh, How about Simon? Go first. You go first. Um, well, I've, I've been playing a lot of Spelunky 2 since that came out. So that's kind of my jam. Uh, I'm really into roguelikes or very like systemic, uh, say, platformers. Uh, also very like, I guess difficult or very at least uh, punishing games so that that's that's kind of me and also it has a lot of secrets and like secrets and i also like i like uh i like games that that have like this like very very um um it has like a a deep like core mechanic that just does a lot of different things and i think spelunky fills those takes those boxes and also it has a lot of replayability so that's where that's where I'm at. Excellent, excellent. What about you, Murray? Um, I've been jumping between a few different things. I finally got around to playing Frostpunk, which um, I was on my list for a long time, and I got a little bit obsessed making a dystopian um, city, uh, and I got exiled three times, so I've taken a break now. Um, and I played a little bit of the Banner Saga, which I hadn't played before. I played that on my Switch, and that was, yeah, it was really enjoyable, actually. Um, I like the turn-based uh, combat in it. So I've just been uh, been going for a backlist of like indie games, which I haven't got around to playing recently. So uh, I think those are the two that I just, I've just been playing mostly the last couple of weeks, yeah. It's wonderful, two very different tones. Frostpunk yes. is a great game uh, to make you feel depressed, but also yes. to really enjoy <laughs> that management sim. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. I was taking a little bit too too obsessed with it. <laughs> I could have one, just one more turn, and then you're like, oh no, where did the time go? So I just wanted to take a little break. Yeah. But as long as you're keeping them warm, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you keep them warm, they always find something to complain about. So it's, uh, yeah. And last but not least, what about you, Astrid? Uh, as always, I'm excited about the games that is getting pitched to us as Kaolo Knights, but they're not out yet. Uh, one of them I'm really excited about. Um, so hopefully that we can help that uh, being released in the future. Uh, and then I'm playing a lot of uh, Yes Your Grace uh, recently. Um, I really I really like uh, how story and management uh, goes together in that game. And I think my big year of uh, 2020 or my big game of uh, 2020 was definitely Spirit Fair. Um, it was really, really calm uh, and relaxed and wholesome, and yet you help spirit uh, getting uh, to the what's called what's Next called afterlife. afterlife, afterlife, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which which would normally maybe be be sad or heavy mm. or something like that. Uh, but here it was just uplifting. Uh, so I guess that's my games. Right I mean, it's a game with a hug mechanic, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. So, I mean, how could it be too yeah. that, you know, that's sad. Sometimes like, I keep hugging and then they're like, no, 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 I had enough. And then I get really disappointed. Because... Just like in real life, though. They were fun to be rejected. And then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, whoever programmed that variable in so that there was a threshold, you know? Yeah. I would just I'll jump for two seconds to look after a baby, but you can just yes. continue because I know this is getting recorded. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <sir. laughs> All right. So 
the next questions that I wanted to ask was maybe just a little bit about how uh, the three of you got into game development. And also just maybe a little bit about what your respective roles are at Triple Topping. So maybe uh, Murray, we could start with you and then Simon and then Astrid when she gets back. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, my background is illustration. So um, I worked as a freelance illustrator in London for uh, seven years after I'm studying it as an education. And then I've always had an interest in game development. And I was at the point in my life where I kind of wanted to make a change. And I went to study a master's in game design in Copenhagen. And luckily by doing that, I was um, able to meet Astrid and Simon, who very uh, took a chance on me to take me into work with them on triple topping um, on Spicus, and which was a, a great experience. And then led us on to working to Welcome to Elk. And the rest is the same history. So I've been uh, working with them, but that didn't, which is, Triple topping is my game industry experience, <laughs> basically. Um, and yeah, like in terms of uh, perspective roles, uh, going on from this, when I speak, I worked as um, an artist. Uh, and then from Welcome to Elk, I then like, took over as an um, art director and um, co writer, a co writer of Astrid. And, uh, and likewise, in the next project, I'm um, uh, writing and um, doing art direction. How does that interaction between writing and art directing feel? Does that feel like a seamless process or does that feel like you're kind of, you know, changing hats or switching roles from one to the other? Uh, I, think, I think it is definitely seamless to a degree. Like, I mean, when you have to focus on one like in particular, I think there's um, overlap and sometimes it's like, okay, I'm going to like, I'm just going to write. And then for instance, whenever I'm writing, I can't listen to music. I love listening to music, but then when I'm writing, I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to be like in quiet mode. Um, but I think there is a lot of, uh, especially because we're a small studio and because we all share hats and stuff. So I think because of that, there's a lot of ways that things just kind of like organically, like, like overlap or like lead into the other. So, and especially the way we all communicate as well. So I think it helps that I'm able to like, with the writing, able to like draw and like show my ideas. I think that it helps a lot when um, like we're, we're all very good at slides now. That's going to become like a utility school that I think we've all learned. <laughs> so. Oh, that's excellent. And what about you, Simon? What is your role? How did you get into it? How did you get into game development? Well, I um, I, I didn't think I was going to be a dick game developer. So I, I took a, like a, a university degree in physics first and uh, did some other stuff studied some like philosophy and stuff uh, until I kind of um, found my way to the IT university here in Copenhagen and they have a game design line. So I took a master's degree there, uh, kind of did half, like half game design, half like game tech. So, uh, I mean, uh, having studied physics, I had a lot of like programming knowledge. Um, so I could do the tech track there, um, but um, was mostly also like interested in, in designing games. So, um, yeah, did a bunch of game jamming. Like that's, I think that's like the biggest thing that that really um, got me got me going and like got me into the industry. And I guess I never really got into the industry actually because I met Astrid, um, and we decided we were gonna make a company together. <laughs> we we met each other at a game at a game jam um, on a boat, a cruise ship in Norway, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, actually we met each other before that, but we made a game there and we were like, let's, let's make, let's start a company. And we started a company, I think maybe like nine months later, 
a year, nine, nine months, months later. later. Something yeah. like that, yeah. Um, it was very much like, okay, we can work together. Exactly, exactly. And then like in between that, I just did some teaching um, and also some teaching with Astrid at, uh, at like a Danish folk high school. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So, and, and at, at, so at triple topping topping, I kind of, well, I'm on, obviously like I co-founded the company. So we, uh, I had a lot of hats. I had to wear a lot of hats uh, and triple topping, but I'm mostly like, I'm the only programmer at the moment. Actually, we just got an intern, but, um, but most of the time I'm the only programmer. So I do that, uh, probably like 50, 50 to to 70% of the time. And then the rest of the time I spend like designing or uh, doing a project management or just uh, general, whatever needs to be done, you know? That's great. And Astrid, what about you? Uh, you know, what is your role at Triple Topping? How did you get into game development? I, I got a little bit of that, I think from Simon, but let's hear from you. Yes, so my role at Triple Topping is that uh, I'm the CEO, so I do a lot of the things that no one really sees and that most people, I, think, I guess, hate doing. But I, I happen to like it. I like, I like do, looking at contracts and doing business to be, business development and uh, figure out the Danish tax system and all of these things. I also really uh, enjoy uh, HR and in general how we develop. Um, uh, the work culture uh, at Triple Topping. Um, and then, as Simon Murray said, wearing a lot of hats. So also uh, co-writing uh, and directing Welcome to Ilk, uh, working a little bit also on our next title uh, creatively, uh, but trying to focus more and more on, on the business side. And how did I join the games industry? I think I think this industry is amazing because uh, I know a lot of AA and AAA studios will require people to have a certain degree of education. But if you want to go work in indies, it's it's basically about like what you want to do and how can you uh, contribute uh, to the company. Um, and my educational background is uh, lingerie design, like underwear for women. And they shifted that into studying visual communication. And after finishing those studies, I found a triple topping. Um, I had also a company before triple topping, uh, a personal company. Um, so I'm still lacking the experience uh, of working in, in, a, in a bigger corporate company, but I'm very much enjoying a, a developing a, an indie studio from the ground and up. So yeah. Oh, that's great. So, like uh, lots of hoops and turns in uh, how you end up. <laughs> no, that's really great, though. And I feel like that, you know, especially, and we'll come there and I'll, I'll do maybe a little spoiler warning before we get too far into talking about Welcome to Elk. But especially when you get to the end of Welcome to Elk, there's really a sense of like a diverse set of interests that are coming to the fore and a studio that's really kind of like thinking about what it means to be a game development studio. But I want to come back to that. Um, and since you brought it up, I do want to actually ask you about, uh, you know, Triple Topping's work culture. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, you have about, is there another four or five employees in addition to the three of you? Is that right? Or am I? Right now we have three full-time, long-term okay. employees, and then we have an intern. Yeah. That's great. 
And I actually took the time uh, to look at the contract, which I found really interesting. So I'm glad you brought it up. But also just more general, I was really fascinated and uh, inspired by the kind of egalitarian uh, setup that you have at Triple Topping. Um, if I'm understanding correctly, uh, you all have the same uh, labor contract, um, which is to say you also all share in the company equally, even if you play different roles. Um, and I just I just want to hear what the story is behind that, uh, what the ideal you're, stri you're striving for, because you hear, I mean, there's the horror stories of the AAA studios, and we can talk about that at another point, maybe. But there's also, I mean, honestly, there's also horror stories at indie studios, and there's all kinds of ways in which uh, indie studios can be organized that are very different from what, the way you have your setup. So I'd love to hear just some of the motivation behind setting it up like you did and that sort of egalitarian promise. To be fair, I think a lot of uh, indie studios uh, has the exact same issues and problems that we see in AAA and AA. The difference is, and the reason why we don't talk too much about it is that it's affecting uh, fewer people. And that's uh, never making for a big scandal if you just treated one or two interns wrongly. Uh, that's not a big choir of people. Uh, so I think I think work culture is, is an issue all over the industry. Big corporations, it's probably because they have a lot of money and they focus on the money and they don't basically give a shit about people. <laughs> and in small indie studios, it's because they are struggling and it's a lack of money and a lack of especially experience in running a studio that sometimes lead to these bad uh, work cultures. Um, and that's the reason why I think it's important to be very, be very open about how you structure your company. Like what kind of contract and what kind of pay can people expect in Copenhagen? I know Denmark is a privileged country compared to other regions, uh, but being open about it makes it easier for people to go to other companies and be like, hey, I at least want that. <laughs> and we are not paying the highest salaries in, in Denmark, but we are on the average. Uh, um, so being open is makes it easier for people and it really starts a debate um and also it it gives uh, people a way to actually talk to you uh, and give critique as well and i think that's important too absolutely simon Murray, did you want to add anything to that about this sort of experience working there and work culture at triple topping i hmm? yeah um <laughs> I, I just want to add that uh, we, yes we do all have the same uh, contract, but it doesn't mean we have a flat structure. It, it doesn't mean that we're all like on equal footing in that way. Like we do have a, a hierarchy uh, in who makes decisions and so on. Um, but it does mean that um, that <laughs> that that nobody can feel like they're um, uh, treated unfairly. I, I would say. That's um, a really important distinction, right? Because yeah. sometimes, I mean, imagine that it's really important if you want to you know, produce a game to have that kind of structure and that sense of somebody is in charge of making sure a schedule gets hit or at the very least that you're setting sort of milestones or goals. Um, Marie, did you want to jump in there too? No, I mean, um, I was just going to like say from my experience, one of the uh, the rewarding things of working at both Aston and Simon was working people whose values were focused on uh, like a human-centric approach First, like it's very much been my experience working at Triple Topping and also with the people who have also joined the team is that it's really about the value as a person rather than, you know, I think it's important for what Simon was saying, 
because of that idea of the, the approach where we're all paid the same, there's no uh, a metric used to the idea of someone's feeling like, oh, I'm not pulling my weight or I should be like, you know, it's, you know if you're hired and you're, you're working the team, you have your responsibilities, but it's like, we're all like, I mean, Astrid constantly calls us a band. Like everyone has their kind of like, you know, uh, partly playing the band and we all play together. And I really think that that's, um, I don't know, like the way being transparent about that, I think it's just a really good way to uh, focus a structure within a company. Wonderful, wonderful. So, you know, the real kind of motivation for me reaching out to you, um, to the three of you, was playing Welcome to Elk last year, which, you know, I reviewed for our site, Gamers with Glasses. It was a wonderful game. And, uh, you know, for me, it was a game uh, that did an excellent job balancing telling the story with introducing a variety of game mechanics uh, and also a game that I think really kind of thinks about what games can be and thinks about what storytelling is and why that's important to us. And also, I would say uh, the kind of centrality of coping with loss or of grappling with loss um, for what it means to just go about life. Um, the game that I found myself thinking of when I was playing it uh, was actually uh, What Remains of Edith Finch. Uh, and in that sense of experiencing loss and trying to grapple with that. But I thought the first thing that I would ask you about in relationship to Welcome to Elk was what it means to you to call the game a biographical adventure. Uh, that phrase really stuck out at me. I think that might even be one of the reasons I bought the game initially was seeing that phrase because I didn't know what it meant at all. Uh, I think I might know what it means after playing it, but I would love to hear the three of you talk about it. Uh, first of all, thank you for all the kind words of the on the game. Um, we use biographical, now I can't even pronounce the word, uh, adventure, and we also use true stories uh, because we are telling uh, stories about uh, real people and their lives. Um, and at some point they were all true, but now they are sort of like rewritten together in one like long tall tale, uh, I would say. Um, and if it was a book, uh, people would uh, certainly not call it a biographical <laughs> adventure. Um, but I think it still points back to this uh, being about uh, people and people's life. Really nice. And so part of it has to do, I, I love that phrase, tall tale, right? Tall tales are this tradition of kind of exaggerating elements of a story, not to betray them, not to make them not what they are, but to actually bring out kind of their core, to bring out some essence mm -hmm. of them when you're sharing them, right? And also to have fun with them and to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, make them fun. And I remember that detail, you know, the apartment that you're returning to over and over and you start collecting uh, the stories that you can then read and the kind of differences between what you're collecting and what you're experiencing and experiencing the discrepancy between, you know, the kind of the raw material and what you turned it into was a really kind of enjoyable process, sort of seeing into the development process a bit there. Um, how, so is this a situation where one of you heard a story from an acquaintance or a friend and you thought, oh, we can, 
you know, maybe work some of these up and turn them into a game? Or did you have a research process, like a formal research process where you were reaching out to people and then interviewing them? I know there are interviews that get incorporated into the game. And this is a moment where I'll say there are going to be some spoilers. We won't give away everything in the game. Uh, and I actually think it's a game that's worth playing no matter what, because there's so many stories that we couldn't possibly tell all the stories. Uh, but one of the things that happens is that you do see video capture uh, from what looks to me at least like interviews. And you can also see some of those on the website as well. So I'd love to hear about the process of, you know, capturing those stories. Uh, being able to afford doing big research and interview a lot of people would be amazing and then make a game. <laughs> Uh, but we are in the studio, <laughs> so let's get back to that. So the people you've seen in the videos in the game is uh, my family. And it's my mom and dad and my brother. And it's filmed by me and Simon. We oh, bought an expensive camera to do it. <laughs> um, so the stories uh, are... Of course, some of Lauge's stories uh, are a little bit like second... Um, Secondhand story, uh, but uh, and and then uh, my dad's story and my mom's story in the game is, is more as a more personal story, uh, but all of the stories, yeah, all of them actually we ended up using in the game are from either me, my mom, my dad, and my little brother. So oh, that's great. Were there challenges with that? And steam, I would say. It's fun to see your mom on Steam. I love that. Um, and I think something that very few developers can say. Yeah, she's also very proud. Sure, it's like she has Steam open on her phone, so she can be like, look at you. But also, um, I, I think yeah. we can say that the, the, the idea for the game has been around for a long time. Uh, like, I think actually uh, we were talking about when I'm uh, Astrid and I met each other, and that was actually when we started, like when you started thinking about this game Way back uh, when Astrid and uh, and and work and worked on it a little bit. Um, it was actually my bachelor project at the Danish Design School. Very different format. Uh, Simon and Murray really like came up with the both the art direction, but also the idea with the core game loop and the mini games and so on. Uh, but already back then, I knew that these stories were interesting, and I wanted to tell stories about real people in the game. Oh, that's fascinating. And it, you know, it's it's funny because it solves some problems, right? How do you come up with a story? But then it produces a whole new set of problems, right? Like how do you turn anecdotes, how do you turn stories of people's lives, which could also be quite sensitive and you want to respect them into something that's a game, right? And not a game in the sense of something like paltry, but in a game in the sense of like something that others can be invited into and interact with. That's excellent. That's really great to hear. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that I, I've already said and that I think is pretty evident is it's also in some ways a meditation on the importance of storytelling in our lives. And I wonder if you could speak a little bit about the role of storytelling as you see it, not just in games, but maybe more in art in general or in your lives, because it seems like you know, you could imagine a version of this game that didn't have those moments where you're thinking very explicitly about what it means to tell a story or some of those moments towards the end of the game where, for example, you have a character that tells Frigg, uh, this is, you know, sometimes stories can go on too long. There's a moment to end. So these thoughts about how we tell stories. 
telling stories, telling stories very natural to humans. Uh, and we did it way before games. Um, and the reason why we sort of have this meta layer in Welcome to Ilk is also that that way you, you can show that games and interacting can actually, uh, with a story, can invite you even further into the story than just listening to it. Now Excellent. I have to go to the baby yes. again. I'm so sorry. Absolutely. No, no, no. Uh, maybe, Marie, you can jump in there. And yeah, then... sure. Um, if you watch this, I mean, like, yeah, I think, uh, especially as a studio, we have, I think we're all interested in storytelling to a degree. And especially when, uh, so as we pitched the idea, like um, when we start working, uh, welcome to Elk, in those very first core ideas that we were working with, was, um, you know, that Astrid explained that she had these six stories from her brother. And it was that, you know, that uh, Astrid was explaining that you're the experience, the idea, saying that these are the stories you like, that were told to her over a, a drink at the uh, bar. And how that, like, how can we bring that experience, that intimacy, all that storytelling into gameplay? Like, how can we do that? And I think so then a lot of the idea of storytelling, like, we had these anecdotes and, you know, going through that process of, like, we were constantly investigating in having conversations back and forth with ourselves by having these uh, like stories and then thinking, okay, like what what is the meaning of this story? Like what is it we're trying to say? Like what do we want? <laughs> it's probably, um, um, and uh, sorry, my, I've lost my track of thought. My cute baby. Um, I know how that goes. But, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hi, hi, Bobby. Um, uh, Simon, did you? Like, what, what yeah, well, uh, I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> bringing it a little bit back. To, I, I just, I'm just getting flashbacks from when we, when we got these stories the first time, and we we met Estridge's brother at a bar, and he told us the stories, uh, and we we went home to the drawing board, and we were like, how are we going to tell these stories to people? And we had this core mechanic back then where it's like, okay, you keep returning to this bar, and there's just like people sitting in this bar which is now it's the hermit in the game mm -hmm. and you go to each of them each day you go to one of them and you you, you hear their story or you, you live out their story and you could kind of decide which um which order you wanted to talk to them in mm -hmm. and i think we still have the core of that the core of like sitting in a bar telling a story uh but it's kind of it's expanded and uh it now has it's very freak centric, like the main character freak. It's very centered on on her and her experience, like uh, her her experiencing those stories, yeah. which is quite interesting. So, was there a version of the game that didn't have Frigg, that didn't have a kind of centralized protagonist? I think not. Not. I mean, I think like in the like definitely what Simon's referring to. I think in the very uh, like. It, when we started the wall and going, okay, like how are we going to make this? We we're going through different processes, like how, like how to explore anecdotal storytelling and how to hit all the notes of the stories that we had, but then bring it into one experience. And I think, but I think very quickly we we decided on a protagonist or like having a an avatar character, which to kind of be a surrogate for um, an audience, just because I think having that um kind of like focus it gives you like a, a very um useful device to go from story to story. It gives you an anchor point. So you're not, because one of the worries was by having it not having a through line that way, that you might, one anecdote or one story might stand out and another one might get lost. So if you have some way of like tying them all together, then 
they all kind of like create more of an arc or like more of a roller coaster as opposed to being. I mean, everyone's going to be like using an example with the ballad, the Buster Scruggs, the last Coen Brothers movie. Like, I, I really like it, but I feel like even when people talk about it, people focus on certain segments of it and some of the other ones kind of fall into like uh, into the background, get forgotten about. And I think we were aware of, we don't want any of these stories. To, we, we, want, we want all of them to like, you know, we don't want to hierarchy them in that sense. Yeah. I won't ask you to pick your favorite then. <laughs> we can't do that, but <laughs> that's super tough. I can imagine. That is tough. I don't know if I have an answer. I do. It's also it's very different. What like what stories are people's favorite? Of course, people talk about the more dark stories because that's what I think many people are shocked by in the game. Uh, but when speaking to people who play the game, it's also very different who they pick at the sort of their main char- favorite character. I do think though that Anas uh, he is a favorite by a lot. Maybe also us as a team. Um, that's just some, something very honest, uh, but still mysterious about him. That is interesting. Yeah. As a character. Tell us a little bit about that character. One more time. Uh, tell us a little bit about that character. So Anas uh, died three times, um, and now he he believes he is in the afterlife. Um, I think we have the story about Anas who died three times because he was drunk and passed out and uh, people thought he was dead and then uh, it got into Murray's hands <laughs> and uh, and now uh, Anas uh, believes he lives in the afterlife so that's where we sort of expanded uh, quite a lot um, but it also gives uh, a great way of telling um, the metagame or, or sort of the mysterious Mysteria that is as well on the ilk. Yeah. yeah, I think that's like for me. I think that's a really good point as well. That um, I think one of the reasons we all like Anas is because he kind of like crystallized what Welcome to Ilk was the idea of like having the real stories because we knew the truth in him, but also how we could like find a new way of like the tall tales aspect stretch. And he became like the most like epitomized idea of that, which I think is why as the game progressed, he became more and more like you know the key to like he's like you know the 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 doorway to like the meta and the uh the world of elk that's wonderful and he's also one of those characters that captures you know i don't know if it's the ethos of the game but maybe it's just what struck me most about the game is that i actually never felt like it got dark even when it got dark there there are moments where i would say the moments of sort of misogynistic violence. I think those are the moments that were most dark in a kind of classical sense of that word, mm-hmm. where your character feels under threat, where you get this sense of violence against women that I think the game grapples with in various ways. But then there are also a lot of other moments where death occurs. I think, you know, one of the most notable moments, there is a death that occurs in a kind of just very normal accident. Uh, when I lived in Minnesota, it was a very normal kind of accident in the U.S., a very cold part of the U.S. Mm-hmm. There were often people that would die just from having gotten drunk, and then they stay out overnight, get hypothermia, and pass away. Mm-hmm. It's, a very, it's a normal thing that happens. But the way the game that handled it was with a kind of dignity and also a kind of, not quite humor, but a sense that this is ordinary and still meaningful. And and. I guess I would love to hear you talk a little bit as a team about how you handled this sense of loss and death in the game. Um, and then maybe we could also come back to the presence of that misogynistic violence and why that's yeah. there. I think we, in the beginning, especially Mira and I, like because 
if you if you just hear stories, they can be fun. They can they can sound funny at first. Like there can be a humor to it first, because I think that's how we often react to to also the more morbid side of of life of human life. Um, and we in the beginning had some ideas like, what if you were frozen and and uh, and you couldn't move the body? That could be a quote fun game mechanic, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. But it would um, like you don't have to go long around uh, that design process or conversation before you realize that that would be the most horrible way of treating, uh, mm -hmm. even though it's an accident that happens in many places of the world. Uh, I, guess actually several times a year i don't know but i have a feeling that that uh, would be correct um so therefore it ended up being like it's almost a core to us that uh, no matter uh, uh, who these stories are about we always have to treat them uh, as real people and that's why in the, in the game where someone is frozen to death we have like almost this funeral scene where we sort of pay a little tribute to whatever life people have lived um and there's also i think you did that where we have like this clear distinction between like if someone is evil on ilk they are just poor evil and that's a person mm -hmm. we made up because we yeah. would not take a real human and then like oh but this because we we did write people to like so more characters are fitted into one character uh so, yeah. it's like when we could never make someone evil or stupid or whatever, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, yeah, it's exactly what I was saying. Um, I think, yeah, it was one of the things I think with the idea that we're empathy. I think it's when we realized like, you know, we really wanted the empathy to really um, stand out in that, especially when we got more to brighten these characters and more understanding this community and like, you know, how that like making that community related back to us, understanding more about these three stories we collected. And the more we went with the characters, the more we, so I think, that was something which us we really wanted to make sure that empathy and that warmth for community really um like was always evident like you know like these people like even when something tragic that happens like the thing that you know gets us through moments of like you know even how bizarre or surreal is like community and warmth and um i think it was really important for us to make sure that, that was like evident and in the same way then i think the more nasty or the horrible features i think leroy the manifestation of him it was to create like okay but we, we we're all the, the things we're going to have this one character who he he has no remorse he has nothing and, and he represents so which you know to maybe is a degree like cartoonish but at the same time there are people who are in and i think in it bringing back to community as well that you know one of the hard things with communities are nothing's utopian you never get a perfect community there's always something in it which uh you can't pick who's the same with your family you can't pick everyone and i think leroy became like our manifestation of the, all the bad stuff like you know this is, this is something that is impenetrable to that warmth like he's the the you know the light and dark kind of like part paradigm that's interesting. It, it makes a lot of sense to me because I think one of the things that's notable about Leroy is that as awful as he is, he's also part of the community. And that's kind of the problem. His life is knitted, knit with other people's lives. And so it becomes this tangle that's really complicated. And I think, you know, part of what happened or my reading of it was that when you introduce Frigg, like there's a kind of equilibrium, maybe not a good equilibrium that's disturbed a little bit which makes the community have to reckon with these things. And part of it is because of Leroy's aggression towards her, this new person that he can harass essentially. Mm -hmm. 
but it brings things to a head and then it has to be dealt with. Uh, mm-hmm. And I imagine also it enables you to kind of have this nice balance in the storytelling, the overall narrative structure between on the one hand, a series of vignettes that are kind of on an equal plane with one another. And then on the other hand, an overarching kind of velocity or overarching thread that you can have a resolution towards and help produce a, you know, quote unquote climax for the story. Mm-hmm. Mm. Exactly, to be honest, the way you said it makes it sound really, <laughs> I like the way you describe it. It really is It like, works. It, it works. It, you say it much better than I could say it myself. It's great. <laughs> I, you know, this is what I do it's for too a living. Deep in yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys have the hard part. You create it. I'm just a critic. So uh, I want to, Simon, I wanted to ask you about the mini games. If, am I correct in understanding that you probably did most of the coding for the mini games, if not all yes. the coding? Okay. That's um, true. So I guess there's the overall design question. Uh, why did you guys decide to make it so hard on Simon uh, by having each mini game be different? Uh, which is a bit of a joke, but there's also, I imagine that was complex. You have a card game, you have a, uh, a drink pouring game, you have my personal favorite, the squirrel trap, Rube Goldberg sort of situation. Uh, you have a whole set of relatively complex mechanics. Uh, and I'm wondering what the challenges there were, were there design challenges, were there scripting or coding challenges? And maybe we can get sort of in the nitty gritty here is, which is kind of, you know, were you using a pre-built engine? Is this a, you know, I I can't remember whether or not I saw the Unity signal before, but for some reason I feel like I did. Uh, yeah. And so then were there challenges with working with People Unity? listening, everybody's nodding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yes. People listening, everybody's nodding. This is a yes. Unity game, which is great. Yeah. I love Unity. Um, so sure. yeah, maybe you could talk a little bit about that experience getting these mini games into the game. First, I should probably give credit where credit is due because I did I did not program all of them. We we did have uh, an intern and then later um, employee who um, called Miguel who did program uh, a couple of them and helped me like polish up some of them as well. And um, and uh, but I, I and he think he invented the card game. The he games. invented the card game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that's Miguel's game. He made yeah. the rules for Galaxstack and programmed the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and he also made the other one where you kind of like build a bar in that for the afterlife. Mm-hmm. He also made that one from scratch. Um, but um, but I think I kind of brought this on myself because uh, when Estrid first pitched the idea, she was she was like, "Ah, we should make this like really storage driven game." And um, as I told earlier, I, I, I like I'm really into Spelunky, so it's not. So it, I was like, okay, how do we make this something that uh, that I am also super interested in? And I'm like, let's let's make it with mini interactions. Let's make it. I don't think Florence was was out at that time, so I don't even think that was kind of an inspiration, but it it could probably have been. Um, so we were just like, let's let's put in mini games, things uh, that um, drive the story forward and that are meaningful with the story. And um, so that was like a very important thing uh, from the beginning. And uh, I think I'm, as I said before, I like really love game jamming and it is kind of like game jamming, making these mini games. It's just like a lot of them, um, Astrid came up with the idea for them. And then Murray and I sat down and just like spent a week or half a week uh, jamming them out. 
and they're so they're all that's why they're all different and they're all um if i should say something like getting into the nitty-gritty a little bit they're all kind of individually boxed within unity so they don't interact with each other at all and they only interact minimally minimally with the like the rest of the game so they all have their own little box which means we can just like go ham and just jam whatever we want out into that little box and and it it won't like interfere with anything else uh so in that way it's uh we've we've made it kind of easy for ourselves to to just put any kind of mechanic in there that we want and any kind of graphics uh, and so on um so so yeah it's been a lot of of jamming and a lot of back and forth i mean a lot of them are made really quickly but i think uh the one that i'm the most proud of about is um the beth singing uh seance where she sings to her uh, her husband um we were and we've been around a bunch of ideas on that before we got to the final result i think we must have spent a couple of months on it um mm -hmm. before we before we ended up where we did um mm -hmm. so and then uh, some games we just spent like two days on them mm. ah maybe maybe a week maybe a week yeah. but some of them are really just like let's make this yes done perfect works yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and i think because we don't have like we had one design rule is that there should be no fail states so yeah, it should not be like games with different outcomes and Good so point. on yeah. but Except for then we could make it as uh, abstract or non-abstract as we wanted. Some games are more like integrated into the world. Um, and some ended up being more even a feeling like walking drunk. Uh, started out as a whole like a, a runner game thing and just like, yeah. hey, what's what's it actually about? It's about yeah. when you're drunk and you can't walk and how does that feel? Mm -hmm. um, which I yeah, think is also a of... good, ex good example of how we also used our personal lives. Like everybody know being a newcomer and drank too much at a party, maybe made mm -hmm. a fool of yourself and it was awkward in the end and walking home. Um, so the, I think the a lot can... of them come from a feeling, right? Yeah. They come yeah. from like, what is the feeling that we want the player to experience mm -hmm. at this point? And then we kind of like... I think the Yebe game is a good example, and we even you even get a peek behind the curtain playing the game with our design discussion on that mini game with with uh, carrying Yebe, um, where we where we want that feeling of being up close to him when you're when you're carrying him. Yeah, yeah. it's a beautiful moment in the game as well. I mean, I was, I think that moment and then the singing mini game, which you know you don't usually expect to find a mini game to be kind of haunting. But I had the feeling, and maybe this is because if I'm remembering correctly, there is a David Lynch reference at one point in the game. But I was, I was getting sort of hints yeah. of Mulholland Drive uh, or something that kind of like strange yes. Lynchian. Yeah, uh, I, I, there's a few throwaway lines I think I chuck in there. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck in past Astrid, maybe. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think uh, there are so many references. Uh, some are like some are very direct to like draw other people's uh, characters or symbols uh, into the game directly, and other things. Uh, there is like one Easter egg for each of uh, of our team members. And mm -hmm. uh, working with a meta also allowed us to have a lot of freedom and just yeah. do whatever we wanted with the game. Um, mm -hmm. 
which was important. In terms of the, the birth singing game that Simon was referring to, it took us a lot of time to design it. And um, it ended up exactly and even better than we could expect, I think. But I was still surprised like the first couple of times showcasing. Because of course I knew that it like it was something that touched us deeply. But also in the process, you sort of get it a little bit of on a distance because you have to look at it with like the sign glasses on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then being that uh, I think it was a GDC and I was at the GDC mix and I was showcasing it and people was just like crying and sobbing. And I was just totally not prepared for that. Um, just be like, hey, are you? did you enjoy the game? You would normally say. Um, and as we had a demo and it ended with that scene. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just it's been a, it's been interesting throughout the whole process of Welcome to Elk to hear people's reactions and thoughts and also yeah. people sharing the personal life stories after. It's mm-hmm. kind of it opens up. Like now you told me something. Now I, I can share my story with you and that's really interesting as well. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's very true. And I think, you know, even just playing this game sort of brought me back to also replaying what remains of edith finch which is a game that i had played pretty shortly after my mother passed away and brought me to like writing about that in a way that i hadn't so i do think there is something about this kind of invitation to tell stories that this game serves as that's actually you know sort of profoundly moving but also just it works you know in that sense of like in the proper game design sense of you know it it serves a function in a really interesting way of bringing people into a place of feeling Thanks. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Yeah, Yeah, that's the highest praise, I think. And so I want to kind of transition to the last part of the interview, uh, you know, and I think the first question, and I know that you may not be ready to start talking about it yet, but I would love to hear if you're ready to talk, you know, hear you guys talk a little bit about what you're working on now. Uh, is there a game that you're ready to talk about? Is it still too early? Uh, what you maybe just hope to see the studio do uh, in the future? Ynglet is coming out. We yes. are helping our friend Niflas, releasing uh, Ynglet. But it's his title, I would very much say. Uh, it's just us mm-hmm. handling marketing and all the, the administration yeah. part of, of the game. It's very much uh, Niflas's uh, amazing game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people can uh, see it on the web page and there's also a Steam page for it. Um, soon, hopefully, have something more out that people can play as well. Uh, but uh, of course, we are not all uh, handling Unglet. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, there is still work to be done on, uh, on Welcome to Earth in terms of, as you said, bring it to other platforms. Um, but then, of course, we are making the next game. And if you've been paying careful attention, playing Welcome to Elk, you have seen it. Interesting. I, I yes. Maybe I didn't pay careful enough attention. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's definitely in there. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely. It's, it's very mm-hmm. clearly in there. Oh, interesting. And it's not the... the, 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 the Rip off a CD ROM in the bookshelf. Oh, this is- <laughs> okay, okay, good to know. The life, death, and children uh, and family game, or whatever it's called. Guessing game, whatever, yeah. Kiss game, something, yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to guess it's not one of the action figures in the apartment. No, no. no I think uh, copyright would have problems with that. <laughs> so. Interesting, interesting. Um, 
And so without it's, me... It's very much being a, a band together still. Like it's going to be very much a similar process uh, to Welcome to Look. Excellent, excellent. Uh, and so, you know, you're... You are serving both as a publisher then, you're developing games. Uh, you know, you're doing a lot, I would say, for a small studio. Uh, and I suppose, you know, just maybe a more general question is, what do you imagine for the long-term future of the studio? And maybe this is a hard question, but maybe worthwhile I want to talk about, but do you see your studio as a potential model for other studios or do you think it's a kind of one of the kind thing that would be hard to reproduce or replicate? Uh, I think it depends on what people want to uh, reproduce. Like our work culture, just go copy paste or take whatever you need from our webpage to reach out and ask to us if you're building an indie studio, be happy to give advice. Um, I think we work very uniquely with games and I think all indie studios are doing that in each other way. Uh, I hope that we in Triple Topping can, can establish ourselves uh, as a brand, as a label that does these kind of games similar to Welcome to Ilk uh, and, and helping other people releasing their game as, games as well if they don't want to deal with all the, all the other parts that is of running a company. Um, I do hope we can uh, work on more titles at the same time because uh, indie, the indie scene is, uh, and especially the field of narrative game is very difficult uh, as a business model. Narrative games are hard sell. Uh, we all speak of Night in the Woods, uh, Edith Finch, uh, Oxen Free, but that's those exactly. three <laughs> uh, that actually made uh, a bit sell. Welcome to is getting amazing reviews, but it's not selling uh, in the same ways of the free titles I just mentioned right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so that means that if you wanna if you wanna make a, a sustainable uh, business around this, you need to first of all have more games to release, uh, because not not all of them will make it uh, amazingly. Um, and then you then you have to become a brand uh, or a label, uh, so people would keep coming back to the games you are creating. Uh, and that means if to become that, you have to to make a high quality product. So I hope we can continue do that, doing that. So I imagine if I'm understanding correctly, so, you know, part of what it means to be an indie studio doing narrative games is for one thing, everything counts, right? You've got to do the marketing, you've got to push the marketing hard um, and hope for the best on that, but also do everything you can. I imagine... Uh, thinking about the scope of projects is really important, knowing how much you can do and how much you can't do and not overscoping mm. uh, because that in that, you know, that direction lies disaster potentially. Uh, Especially with narrative games. It's, you just have to be cost efficient uh, mm -hmm. because like, don't, don't look for the big hits when you're trying to figure out how much uh, you could spend on making, making a narrative indie game. Um because if you want to make the next game and the next game thereafter, it, it really you really need to be careful. Um, and we always have this in Welcome to Earth, like we cut some corners. Like, ah, if we don't have to animate the water, why animate the water? <laughs> Sometimes just, okay, this is how it is. Is the point of the story there? Perfect. Next thing. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, that's great. Well, 
Thank you three so much for taking the time uh, to talk to us. And uh, I'm really looking forward to releasing this to our audience. And, uh, you know, I hope we can talk to you again soon, especially, you know, when there's a formal announcement of the next game, uh, which I will replay Welcome to Elk and uh, pay attention for clues. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. And thank you thank so much you. for taking the time. Yeah. Oh, it's been pretty fun. Yeah, it's been fun. Absolutely. It was my pleasure.